In our industry, there are few things more beautiful than a perfect pairing. Yelp Guest Manager has officially integrated with Reserve with Google, creating the largest consumer network in the U.S. Leverage Yelp Guest Manager to offer reservations, next-gen waitlist, and take out to 64 million more consumers than OpenTable. To supercharge your restaurant's marketing and operations, visit restaurants.yelp.com today. Comscore Media Metrics, based on Yelp Guest Manager, Reserve with Google, and OpenTable monthly average number of visitors in the U.S., 2022. Now here we go. I will fight so hard and never, ever, ever tell my team that they can't do something like that. And here's why, because I will roll my sleeves up and I will wash the dishes. I will show up and I will do your job because I have done it before because I want you to be happy so I can continue to be fulfilled and you feel fulfilled. I hope that we can start treating everyone better with respect to their lives outside of the restaurant because then they will come back and respect the job that they do. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Don't back down. Don't apologize. Don't compromise. These are the words of Ty Ricky, a founding partner of San Francisco's High Neighbor Restaurant Group. She's grown her restaurant group to six locations over the last 10 years. And today, we sit down to discuss how she did it and who she needed to become to accomplish such lofty goals. As it turns out, personal development is professional development. I've only ever had restaurant jobs. So basically my mom was like, I came home one day and she had the newspaper on my bed and had circled jobs. I was like, get a job. I'm like, cool. This job sounds good. There's food there. I like that. So I had worked with my first boss, Audrey. Um, this was at the Epicurean in the outside of Philadelphia. And I remember being like, I'm a really good bus girl. I want to be a server or like a bartender. Like, I want to do this, man. This is amazing. And she was like, not while I'm alive. Like, no way. You are insane. Like, you are too hard to handle and manage. I can barely handle you as a busser. Like, no. So that was the first I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to take over. I'm going to dominate. And I'm going to invite Audrey into one of my restaurants one day and be like, <laughs> um, she's awesome, too. She was supportive throughout my whole journey. But she rolls her eyes a lot. The next one, when I was a little bit older, I was working for Steven Starr, and I remember this moment so clearly in my head. I was being trained. I didn't really understand how lucky I was to get the job for Steven so early on when no one was doing hospitality like that. And a guest had ordered a Diet Coke, and my trainer, Casey, said, make sure you take all the seeds out and make it look pretty. And I thought to myself, why would I do that? Just It's just a diet. Who cares? They're going to pay me anyway. And she was like, it takes nothing for you to show up and be nice. And then they're nice back. And at the end of the night, you walk away with cash. And it was like the sun had risen for the first time. Like I was like, wait a minute. I come into work. I'm nice to people. They're nice to me. And I leave happy. How is not everyone in the world wanting to do this job? So I kind of took that. And that was how I approached definitely High Neighbor because it's a hospitality company first. It is not a food-driven company. And that's how I approached every job I ever got was just by literally being nice. Uh, so that's how I got started. And then you get it, you know, learning. I love learning. I'm, I love people. 
let's talk about one person in particular. Let's talk about Sam Nazarian. So <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I've never worked with Sam, but I worked against him as a competitor for the better part of 20 years. And I remember Sam in like the very early 2000s when we were both much younger men. And he very candidly told everyone, like, I'm going to take over Los Angeles nightlife, to which we said, good luck. And he didn't need it. (laughs) He had a plan. And I think that Sam really highlights, number one, the power of long-term thinking. Number two, the power of systems. And number three, the power of strategic partnerships. And so, like, you were there at SBE during this massive scale-up. You look at, like, what was done with 14, which I know is, like, this crazy, crazy amalgamation of what if we created this fine-dining restaurant and then also used it as a nightclub? A nightclub and has a circus on the weekend. It does, right? It's insane. (laughs) Absolutely insane. I've got to believe that the experience with SBE taught you a lot about how to scale an organization. And then especially like your time with Sam and Michael Mina at 14 showed you like how big you can really think, right? Yeah. I remember when I interviewed for that job coming from Katsuya and I got a phone call from Michael telling me I got the job. And the second phone call I got was Sam being like, don't forget where your loyalties lie. (laughs) I was like... Okay, I have to call my mom though and let her know like I just landed my dream job. So thank you. First of all, I was his first employee at SBE. I met him working for Steven. He was in for dinner one night. He said something to me like, Oh, you should come to LA. You're very nice and funny. And I was like, Fuck LA. I'm never going there. And then I ended up going. Yeah, of course. And I kept his card. And you know, we moved there and I like dicked around for a little while. And then I just drove up to his house because that was the address that was on his cart. He didn't have the offices yet. In my 2003 Saturn, by yeah, the way. Yeah, he did. Chain smoking Marlboro Ultralights. <laughs> I was like, knock, knock, knock. Hey, and he opened the door and he was like, and I'm like, yeah, it's me, I'm here. Like, what do I do? And he was like, well, first of all, you don't enter through this door, you go through that back door. <laughs> like, that's where all the people that work for me come in. I was like, oh, cool. And then we put together the training program I was a big part of writing that manual because I had just come from Stephen, but I didn't have anything written down. I just had experience. So I wrote it in a very like Philadelphia style, which HR then like adjusted. (laughs) (laughs) And working with Katsuya was great. I did. I learned a lot. I learned how to say yes and with a positive outcome. Like there's paparazzi outside, the bathroom's overflowing. Chef Katsuya has just smacked one of the sous chefs in the mouth in front of everyone. Oh, also like Wu-Tang Clan is over there and they need some hot green tea. And I'll be like, cool, let's do it. <laughs> because again, I'm in a happy place. I'm having a good time. I've got great coworkers and I was very rich at the time. So that gave me a lot of those. It taught me to not fight what was coming at me, but to work with it. And if it was really bad things headed my way, I made it my personal responsibility to change it for everyone. But then the merger with Michael Mina, you know, I had kind of like hit my peak. I was training everyone. I opened all the new Katsuyas. I wasn't learning anything new. I knew all about the sake. Then Michael Mina was like, whoa, you want to take fine dining? And Sam Nazarian, are you kidding me? And these two men are going to open a wildly successful restaurant that is a circus. Like you can be a part of that. And I was like, I don't. I don't think so. But it was great because it had everything that Sam was good at, which I love, like the celebrities and the reality TV shows and that like just the energy of people so grateful to be in the room. And then the hospitality 
of a Michael Mina company with the standards. Like there was no slipping out to do cocaine in the bathroom. You know, like you showed up every day with your shoes polished and your shirt pressed and your nails done. It was a really way, like really exciting way to up the game and still be able to maintain the yes part. Because that's one thing both of those men did very well is always say yes. Yes, to the wildest, wildest things. And it always paid off. I want to make sure that I get this is very integral to what, how High Neighbor operates is both of those gentlemen pivoted when they needed to pivot. And whether they personally believed it was right or wrong, it never showed to us. So if they were like, we're now a nightclub that's going to rain glitter on you every night and you have to wear a white bikini. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that because I believe in you as my leader and you seem to not like be cracking at all, you know, or Sam, how many times did he redo different nightclubs oh every single time? They were so popular. I'm like, you guys are sitting at the same table. Like, <laughs> I will say that that's what they gave to me. What I gave to them was far greater. <laughs> <laughs> so you do. So you take your wares and you decide to go independent in what I would argue is a difficult market, right? The Bay Area is highly competitive, especially when it comes to dining. We all have this gift to share with the world. That is, I think, how we all view entrepreneurship, or at least there's there's something that we want to say. You know, my restaurant concepts in, in Los Angeles specifically, they were in the bar concept as well. Those were love letters to the places I grew up. Yeah. Like it was, I want you to experience what I did because it mattered so much to me. And like, it was my gift to the community or to the city that I was in. I think in large part, we're all zealots. Why San Francisco and why the first location? San Francisco is easy. It was the first place I felt like I was accepted. I felt normal and I felt heard and seen. And that mattered to me. You know, when I first got here, I was opening Michael Mina flagship with Ryan, my partner, who was my boss then. It was just really beautiful to wake up every day and feel like I'm normal and I'm happy and this is great. No one's judging me. It's very judgy in LA. I was never skinny enough or perfect hair, perfect teeth. Again, I had the 2003 Saturn. Like no one was valeting that. Here they were like, look at that vintage automobile. You do you. This is great. And it was wonderful. And so I wanted to take that feeling of being seen and accepted. And I wanted to pass it on to the guests because there would be so many people that would come into Michael Mina nervous because it's expensive. It's Michelin starred. We're using words you don't know. You don't want to seem dumb. Someone was like, we are going to have to shake that Philly out of you. But it was the best thing that I brought to San Francisco because it made everyone feel like they also belonged. And then after a while, I just got tired of giving my light to someone else. I wanted to own something and pass my light down to everyone else. I didn't want just one person getting it so that they would take that feeling of happiness and being seen and pay that forward to someone else too. Because I mean, Everyone has a person, right, that was nice to you one day when you were having a real shit day and you may never have seen that person again, but you remember that moment. And there's clients and guests that come through that, you know, I'm never going to see again, but I know that I made them smile and I made them feel a certain way that made them feel good and that they will carry with them forever. So independent, it was a no brainer. Ryan, I had left and was working with Shelly Lindgren and Ryan called me up one day. We still remain best friends. And he was like, hey, we should open a restaurant. I was like, cool, I'm going to quit my job. And he was like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> he was like, I just put in my notice. You're not even, you're still on yeah, the phone. Yeah, like, great. And what we did was I reached out to my entire, at the time, Rolodex still of regulars that I had made here and my people in LA. 
never my family. And I reached out to everyone. I was like, hey, what's up? Super like non-professional. We're opening a restaurant. Do you want in? It's $10,000 buy-in. And I mean, we raised the money almost immediately. That's incredible. More than we wanted. It was. Yes, we have been very fortunate. But also people just remembered. They were like, you're going to be doing something. I want to be a part of it. I don't know what it is. And that comes full circle to my teacher in college. I went to school for acting and he was like, yeah, you're going to do something. I don't think this is it, but like, I can't wait to see what that is. And that kind of has been everyone's approach to me in every job I've had. (laughs) But when I started Hi Neighbor with Ryan and Jason, people were like, that makes sense for you. This is what you've always been meant to do. So yeah, I also wanted to be able to give people things that they weren't getting. You know, you hear so many horror stories. There's so much PTSD out there with people that work in the industry. I mean, I've sometimes had interviews where people just start breaking down in tears. I'm like, what is happening? So I wanted to build a safe space for people to have a voice also, because that was important. Did you make money? (laughs) Zero dollars. None dollars. In fact, I didn't take a salary and stayed on waiting tables to make my money. And then I think the first paycheck I ever got was like three years in and it was for $1,500. And I was like, what's this is not what I thought. I thought I was going to be rich living in Sausalito as I like got back into my Saturn and chain smoked my way home. (laughs) It was not what I thought it was going to be. But you know what? Like, yes, I want the money. Of course I want the money. But here's the thing. I'm a hustler. I will make the money if I don't have money coming in. So it was never a driver for me. Just like when the pandemic hit and our restaurants were closed, a lot of people were freaking out. And I was like, I'm going to go work at a grocery store or a post office or anywhere that will employ me because I need to make money to live. But the restaurants are, they give back in such a way that I don't think I could ever match it financially. Like, I don't think I could put a price tag on the way I feel when I get to go to work every day. I really couldn't. What was the scaling strategy though? So you opened the first one. What KPIs were you tracking? Like, what was the indication that now it's time to grow? I mean, we were packed every single night. Within the first year, we were able to pay back our investors, which is why we also didn't make any money. (laughs) And then at the height of that, one of our investors came to us and said, you guys are doing really good. Do you want to have a second location? And we were like, yes, because then we can pay ourselves. So we got Trestle. That was at 2015. And then that was the one that people were like, you are never going to make it. This restaurant's going to fail. You guys suck. That one started making money. And, you know, we kind of, got a little full of ourselves because people noticed Ty Neighbor and they were like, oh, well, can you open a restaurant here? Can you do this here? Can you do that here? We ended up taking a deal. We opened a coffee shop. It was turned into a restaurant, turned into a thousand different things and none of them worked and we failed. Failed. I mean, we were in the hole for millions. Then another company came still because it looked like we were doing great and we are working with Bornado Company. They opened the vault Mm -hmm. and then now we have the vault garden from the pandemic. And then our friends... I don't know. I wish I had a very specific financial, easy answer for that. It kind of, everything just came to us. And you you sift through with your partners and you pick one and you put all your money in on it and you hope that it's going to go well. You had a concept that was going well. And eventually, like you look at High Neighbor, you could have achieved economies of scale by opening six of those. Why go into other tiers? Why continue to create different concepts? Wow. I mean... Part of it is masochism. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I'm doing too good. Nothing's falling apart. Let me light something on fire. We also get really bored. We master something and want to move on to the next, which is why I think 
High Neighbor is so successful because we're not just a restaurant company. We do consulting. We have a finance company. Like I'll train your staff. I, HR train. Like we do kind of everything. So it was important to us to not just do one thing very well, but try and see what other things we can do well. And not saying that we wanted to fail at all, but knowing that some would and that we were going to learn more from that than Trestle, which we could have had. I could have 18 Trestles right now and live in Sausalito. Living my dream life. <laughs> but that doesn't sound fun to me at all. It sounds like I'd be a full-time alcoholic. So I would have nothing to do. <laughs> so it's about the challenge. You don't succeed if you're not constantly challenged. And also there's some part of me that was like, I want to fail at something. I just want to know what it feels like. And, you know, you can check your ego. After all, it's just restaurants. Like, I'm not Angelina Jolie. <laughs> I'm not a brain surgeon saving people. I'm serving people food. So I think that's why we're successful. And we do try and do different concepts, and we do challenge the norm. Like, when we did Corridor, we did Fast Casual. We were right after Suvla to do it, and it tanked, like, Titanic. I was screaming iceberg as soon as we opened the door. People just weren't having it. And they would always leave and be like, we love you guys. The hospitality is there. The service is great. This idea is stupid. I tried my Michael Mina face of like, no, it's going to be great. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Wonderful. It was not. So we know that that doesn't really work. And then we went to try fine dining. That did very well. And then the garden is whatever I can book in there is what the garden is. Sure. <laughs> I think that's why we're successful. Not afraid to fail. And we just keep going. You just got to keep going. When they talk about real estate or investment strategies, they say that it's time in market, not timing the market. And there's something, especially in fine dining, man, like there's just something to be said for not giving up, for just being in the market long enough that everybody figures out that you exist. Because awareness, I mean, especially in like the Los Angeles market, the San Francisco market, there are new things opening every day. Some of those are really good things. And it's hard to capture the media's attention. And it's hard to capture the consumer's attention today. It is. Social media definitely plays more of a factor, I find, in LA than it does in San Francisco, because people are still really snobby about things that they like or reels that they'll watch. And it does well for us for like events and stuff. But honestly, it's the reason people seek our restaurants out when they could literally be going anywhere. Like they could score the restaurant or the reservation at Quince. They could get all expense paid trip to French Laundry. I know they will come back to High Neighbor all the time because we treat everyone the same, no matter if you're at the fine dining, if you're at Trestle, if you're at our bars, it doesn't matter. And that word of mouth in San Francisco, gaining that guest loyalty, that is what makes us successful. I don't want a bunch of strangers to come in and spend money once, right? I want a room full of every everyone that I know, first of all, because it makes me happy. And two, because they're going to come back once, if not twice a month. They're going to send their friends here. They're going to have their birthday parties with us. Like That is marketing and SF is more than just getting on Eater. It's more than being in the Chronicle. It is actually seeing everyone when they walk in the door. It's just different here. Let's talk about product market fit, because for me, I advocate for it today. I advocate for finding it. But by and large, there wasn't a whole lot of that that went into the research or ideation process as I built out my concepts. I got lucky. I got really lucky <laughs> that like I landed this thing here and it just happened to be what people wanted. But 
I've certainly seen concepts where it's a perfect thing in the wrong place. And what I figured out over time is that like you can't create demand. If you sell ham sandwiches mm-hmm. and the people in the outlying area don't want to eat your ham sandwiches, like there's no social media strategy around convincing people to eat shit that they don't want to eat, period. And so having more successes than losses under your belt and looking forward to greater expansion. How does product market fit fit in? I mean, or even in your consulting practice, right? Yeah. I mean, some consulting things that we have taken on are very well-established San Francisco restaurants, but you'll never see High Neighbor attached to that because they have found an area and a niche that works. While we're looking at some other locations and opening, I think we do say, what does the neighborhood want? Historically, what is the neighborhood known for and how do we honor that is, I think, the most important piece when we're looking to either open new, take over some, consult, and give advice. How do you fit into the neighborhood? Not what are you really good at? Can you drop a hoagie station on the waterfront? Like, you don't try to eat a hoagie. People here don't even know what a hoagie is also. But you don't open a sushi restaurant in the meatpacking district. It just, you got to honor the neighborhood. That's, I think, what we really look for. Because then you're honoring the neighbors. And then how does that conversation work? So one of the things that I've noticed is that through social media, and I'm sure that it's represented in many facets of your business, that you use social media to actually have a conversation. It's not this megaphone where there's no dialogue. You're not broadcasting, right? You're sharing and they're sharing with you. There's a lot of engagement that you typically don't see on restaurant profiles. How do you build that? It takes a lot of personal time to interact with all the DMs that we get or checking our hashtags and following new people. And it's always about interacting, interacting. Do they feel seen? Do they feel heard? Do they feel like they have, you know, that they could reach out to me anytime on DM and be like, Hey, what's up, Ty? Like I'm coming in for dinner. Are you going to be there? Things like that. That is really how social media works best for us. Um, We do a lot of events. Like we have a lobster boil coming up at the vault. It's our fourth annual one. People have been begging us for it. Through social media, that's how we were like, let's do this again. So if anything, social media is really giving us our guidelines. (laughs) We're not giving it to them, which is very cool. I do want to talk about that lobster boil. So we had decided early on at Pru and Proper that we weren't going to do events weekly. Like we weren't going to do, oh, we're going to have, you know, it's fine dining. Oh, we're going to have a DJ on Thursday nights and this and that, that anything that we did, we were going to set a target to do something every quarter or twice a year, and that we wanted to become known for it, which I would argue is a more painstaking process. It's definitely more expensive, and it requires the discipline to not be distracted by all of the other great ideas that we tend to have. And so you look at that lobster boil that you guys do, and it's a great example of first year was good, right? Second year was better. And then as you do it, It does get better. You do get known for it. And then it becomes an expectation. So talk to me about like the anatomy of a successful annual event and then how you keep it going and how you avoid the distractions that uh, the result. It's so when the pandemic hit, everyone was afraid to dine out, but they were okay to come to the garden and have a lobster boil or go to one of our drag brunches or our champagne dinners. That was like what was drawing people in. So that 
got us addicted to doing events. Yeah, let's do it. The lobster boil was a huge success. I mean, we cover the tables with the red and white checkered paper. Everyone gets a lobster bib. Uh -huh. Little crackers. Like I'm running around like a lunatic playing weird summer barbecue jazz. It's great, right? The first one was so successful. The second one, so successful. The third one, I could have done a cartwheel and not hit a single person in the restaurant. This one now is our fourth. People were like, oh my God, you're bringing it back. Like, where were you last year? You're on the email list. I know you saw the email. We're focused on it because it does generate business. It constantly gives us something to talk about on social media. It gives us something to e-blast to our database. So we're always, not in their face, but people are always aware of us. Like, oh, they're doing something fun. We know the last one was really good. Let's try this one. So we did a bunch of events after that. The hard thing is how do you run five other restaurants and put on this event when we're taking our director of operations, my partner, Jason, Ryan, myself, like our whole corporate team will be there. How do you put out the other fires? So it's, we're very strategic in looking at all the schedules together all at once, saying no matter what happens, this is your job that day. Ty, no matter what happens, you're at Trestle. Even if the vault catches fire, like you stay at Trestle and you do Trestle. So it's really about putting the key people in the right places, a whole bunch of communication, a lot of communication. And I think we keep doing it because it's a nice little break from the regular, right? And you have people that come to these events and their eyes are wide and they're hungry. And like for the lobster boil, it reminds a lot of people that are here about their experiences on the East Coast. And they're telling me about their grandma's like way she used to do this and the soup thing pulling chef to the tables. It's just such a community-based experience. It's not like selling tickets to a concert where I don't interact with people. And that's what we want. We want that interaction, you know? And if someone was like, oh my God, we're going to do a cheesesteak tasting. Ty, would you like to go? I'd be like, yeah, I remember eating cheesesteaks growing up. Like that's my jam. So you, you put it on obviously to make money, but also you put it on for your loyal clientele. It's like a little reward. We don't overprice. That's not how we roll. It has never been. So I think that's why it's approachable for a bunch of people too. Let's talk about you and the evolution of your role within the High Neighbor Group at large. And I think it's true for all of us, right? When I opened my first spot, I was the owner, operator, busser, part-time cook. The list goes, oh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> right? You stick your hand in a dirty toilet once and you never, yep, yep. <laughs> you never look back. There was a glove. There was a glove on that hand, but it definitely <laughs> happened. For sure. You remember it's the glove, then the garbage bag, and then it's taped off at the top of my arm. And it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's what therapy's for. But your role has to evolve. When I owned mm -hmm. one place, I had many jobs, but one job. Then I had two places and I had two jobs. And that's when I figured out that like there's no scaling me. So I need to evolve as an operator in order to scale the organization. What did that realization look like for you? And how has your role within the company evolved as you guys have scaled? Well, prior to opening High Neighbor, I had only ever been a busser, a host, done events, bartended sometimes not very well, and was an excellent server, the best. So when we first opened Stone's Throw, that was our number one, I started off as a server. And then I was a host at the front door. And then I became the GM. I learned how to GM. And then we did bar stuff. And then we did events. And for me, 
events really clicked because I had hit my limit with serving. I just I couldn't do it, but I could put on an event and make people happy still. And that's where I found my niche in the company. That is like my job. If you look me up, it's, you know, head of events. But you know what I do for High Neighbor that I think a lot of partnerships do miss is I am the heart. I am the heart of the company. Brian is so good at financials. Jason is an amazing chef, but they don't have what I have in that capacity. And I think that brings balance to the group as well, which is really important. So my job now I would say is to be, is to use my platform in San Francisco, you know, with my giant, giant mouth and allow my team to feel like they have a home, they have an ear for someone to talk to, and that I'm going to support them in any way that I can. By no means am I HR, not with this mouth. And has the pandemic changed for you or your partners? How you define success moving forward? Yes, 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 it did. Yes, it did. Is attached to something else I thought about, what I hope that we cover later. The pandemic said, stop. For me, it was, look up. Oh my God, you're married, Ty. You're going to spend some time with your husband. That's different. It also said, find a balance. I went in burnt out. I came back alive and like hungry and excited about things. Terrified, of course, like everyone, but I knew I was going to make it. For us, it made us say, we need work-life balance. Like, I need to be able to tell you no. I need to say, I'm not working Sundays. I need to say, I need to go do this thing and stop sacrificing myself because I had nothing left to give. And now we balance each other out. We take on the responsibilities. We share everything. And it makes everyone's lives better, right? Because there's no guilt. There's no resentment. There's none of that. That is the pandemic taught us a very great lesson. Very great. And it was that. It was just boundaries and balance. It all goes by really quickly. And like I look at 2013 to 2019, I'm like, what was I even doing? It's all just a blur. But now I have really wonderful memories of coming out of such a hard struggle to where we are now. And we you know we're not back, but we're better than where we were before. And the majority of our employees pre-pandemic came back with us and are still there. I was flattered to find out that you listen to the show. So you understand the purpose of the show, which is beautiful. For the folks that are listening to you now, what should they steal from you? What parts of you, your role, your business should they work to emulate? I will say this. It's not enough to ask another person how they are. You need to get to know your coworkers in a way that you can walk up to someone and say, how is your wife? How was your daughter's bar mitzvah? Know their names, know their pets' names, know their mother's names, know their address, know if they have allergies. Know them just enough that you could be there in case of emergency. That's what I want to be in someone else's life. And I am. In a lot of ways, my phone does not stop ringing. (laughs) I know things about my team no one should know. (laughs) But I'm grateful for it, right? Because if they didn't have me, who were they going to go to? So please invest Invest in people. Invest in people the way that you would want someone to invest in you. The restaurant industry is filled with unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? I hope that magically all the radios everywhere turn on to hear what I am about to say is so important. I wish that it was acceptable in our industry 
moving forward for people to take time off to do things with their friends and their families. I wish that someone could have a Christmas with their mom. I wish that you could go to your child's soccer game without the threat of losing your job. I understand it's nights. I understand it's days. I have to operate the business, right? I get it. We're open on Christmas and Thanksgiving. But like, why are we forced to choose? You know, why for 10 years did I never get to fly home to Philadelphia to see my family? I missed out on cousins that like, I don't even know. I mean, I know them because they're on Instagram, but I couldn't have a conversation with them if I flew home and I should never have been put in that situation. And I, I will fight so hard and never, ever, ever tell my team that they can't do something like that. And here's why, because I will roll my sleeves up and I will wash the dishes. I will show up and I will do your job because I have done it before because I want you to be happy so I can continue to be fulfilled and you feel fulfilled. I hope that we can start treating everyone better with respect to their lives outside of the restaurant because then they will come back and respect the job that they do. Our industry suffers from razor thin margins and the only way for us to ensure profitability is to make data driven decisions. The numbers don't lie and Yelp for restaurants just released some incredibly compelling numbers. For starters, Yelp reaches nine times more customers online than OpenTable. And would restaurants pair that level of visibility with guest manager and Yelp ads, they experience up to an 8% lift in diner bookings. Think about what that 8% lift could do for your restaurant's finances. To learn more about how Yelp for Restaurants can support your business, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to learn more today. That's Ty Ricky. For more information on her restaurant group, visit highneighborsf.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.